Greetings, bibliophiles, and thank you for joining us for the Brennan Book Blog Podcast, Episode 9, New Book Smell. I am your host, Kate Brennan. Graduation time is nigh. Book sales for, oh, the places you'll go, are up, and college students everywhere are wondering what the heck they are going to do with their lives. Just as these fledgling graduates start off into the world, we thought it was time to send them off with some fledgling titles to accompany them on their journey. These novels, about healing in strange ways, women in war-torn Germany, and becoming the best version of yourself, whoever that may be, are about as disparate as you can get. But they are all so new, the ink is hardly dry on their pages. As an avid reader, we know you'll enjoy New Book Smell. The Answers by Catherine Lacey Have you ever had a chronic illness? Indeterminate symptoms that ebb and flow, confounding doctors and holistic practitioners alike? Ever prostrate yourself on the floor of an abandoned warehouse to experience Reiki as explained by a recently ordained eight-year-old? No? Just me? Hunia, or, or Mary, is ill. She lumbers through New York, more a compilation of symptoms than a person, and possibly not even sure she is one anymore. After countless attempts at remedy, which leave her sanity and bank account eviscerated, she is referred to a Peking practitioner. Peking being a unique combination of touch, energy, zero balancing, Reiki, meditation treatment, which miraculously assuages her discomfort. And as with most magical alternative cures, it is prohibitively expensive. In order to scrounge up enough cash to get by, Mary answers a mysterious Craigslist ad to be a high-paid, well, she is not sure what exactly, but through a series of rigorous interviews, she becomes part of a well-compensated experiment, a girlfriend experiment, for the megalomaniac tortured star of the era who is convinced that romantic relationships are thwarting his creativity. So, he creates an experiment breaking down the facets of girlfriendom, and a team of experts casts a woman in each role, my favorite of which is Mundanity Girlfriend, whose directives include sharing the space with the star but not exactly acknowledging him, stare absently out a window in a daze for up to three minutes at a time, look in his direction but not in his eyes, smile slightly as if you were thinking about something else, there is, of course, also intimacy girlfriend, anger girlfriend, maternal girlfriend, and as Mary discovers, emotional girlfriend. If the quirky absurdity of the premise doesn't reel you in, the writing will. Lacey's prose reads like poetry, utterly human, intimately clandestine, and pathetically humorous. The content harkens to Dave Eggers' The Circle and Graham Simpson's The Rosie Project, and the insightful narrator calls to mind Alexandra Kleeman's You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine and Miranda July's The First Bad Man. I'd be remiss if I didn't admit I was slightly disappointed at the end of the novel, but whether I just didn't want it to end or I was searching for answers that it wouldn't give me, I'm not entirely sure. 
I highlighted dozens of passages in the book and just this moment sent them to a friend to appreciate. The writing is so deep that it seems to resonate on a cellular level. And I wonder if that's all we are, an assemblage of random molecules in space, unsure systems negotiating a precarious balance, a collection of cells congregating in the curvature of a large question mark rather than a definitive period. My funny Valentine. The Women in the Castle by Jessica Shattuck. Sweet comic Valentine. It is our responsibility to read this book. Never has a historical fiction been more timely in our country's history. I turn the last page of this epic as news reports of mass destruction of Jewish graves in a cemetery in my home city, the second attack this week on Jewish resting places, was reported. Is it an eerie reminder that the past cannot rest in our tumultuous present? I received the women in the castle on Friday evening. I hold up for the weekend, swept through time within its uneven pages, and finished the final sentence last night on a Sunday. I devoured a 360-page historical fiction in a weekend, and I was sad to see it end. There was a time in my childhood when I was enamored with World War II fiction. I think now that I shared the view of the character Anya in the book, who both believed and couldn't believe the atrocities of the war, like there was a final barrier of doubt separating us from the truth. One man was not capable of inciting such destruction. Humanity was not capable of this grand scale of evil. This was the stuff of Grimm's horrific fairy tales and not of our collective history. The story is unique in that it deals with a heretofore overlooked population of war victims, German women. Now, if you scoff that you wouldn't want to read a tale about German women in a war that so negatively affected other groups, I would tell you, in war, there are no winners. Everyone loses and Shattuck renders the nuanced portrait of inscrutable loss through a lens of compassion and clarity. The narrative switches seamlessly between the time before and after the war. Marianne has inherited the titular castle, stalwart and no-nonsense, committed to her principles, but fiercely loving and with a seed of self-doubt buried underneath her depths. Marianne leads the triumvirate with two daughters and a son in tow. Through a series of catastrophic events, she takes in Benita, young naive wife to her own former love, and Benita's son, the constant reminder of his father, as well as Anya, the reported wife of a resistor with her two sullen boys. I'd like to say that the women become the best of friends, and through love and tears they wrestle through the difficult times. This is not the case. The randomness of the makeshift family is just that. Random built upon a foundation of shared loss, upon soil tilled with guilt amidst a landscape thick with violence. In that environment, who knows what will survive? In many ways, you know this story. It is our collective tale of shame, of complicity, of ignorance. It is a tale of strangers killing strangers, but it is also our collective story of hope, of courage, of resistance. It is a story of strangers saving strangers. Shatek's writing is, in a word, exquisite. 
The transportive power of her phrases matches that of Jennifer Egan, A Visit from the Goon Squad. Her insight to humanity's nature tantamount to Lily King from Euphoria and Celeste Ng, Everything I Never Told You. My own edition of the book is covered in green highlighter, and when I reread the pages, the words construct tangible, uneven planks underneath my toes, only to drop the floor out from under me in the next line. I would not be surprised if this beautiful, necessary piece were nominated for the Pulitzer. Sweeping in scope, it is frighteningly topical, poignantly crafted, and deeply personal. It is our collective history, and it's time we acknowledge that it cannot stay buried. Symptoms of Being Human by Jeff Garvin. Which is testimony to the duress of the West using muscle to repress the masses. We should be clinking glasses and making passes to the left. When you start any novel, what do you notice first about the narrator? I imagine concurrent to style of voice, you make immediate assumptions about gender. I, in fact, often actively search for narrators of a certain gender. I imagine there are some readers out there that actively avoid narrators of a certain gender. Actually, the old chestnut they like to sell writers is that girls will read stories about boys and girls, but boys are only interested in stories about boys. Hmm. So then what do you do when the narrator's answer to boy or girl is a simple nod? Riley is starting at a new high school halfway through the four arduous years, a terrifying plight for any narrator, but exacerbated more acutely by the fact that Riley identifies as gender fluid, or as male or female, or anywhere along the spectrum on any given day. Compound this situation by a congressman father running for re-election and an accidental fame-by-blog post scenario, and you've got the makings of a modern-day cyber hero and heroine tale. The book came out about five minutes ago and has already been recognized as a 2017 Best Fiction for Young Adult Selection by the American Library Association, among most anticipated debuts by Barnes & Noble, and in five YA novels you need to read in the first half of 2017 by Huffington Post. The list of notable mentions is exhaustively long this far. And why? Well. It's a fun read, to be sure, but what is perhaps most notable about this book is that, like all good fiction, it manages to implicate the reader in its exploration. Heck, the gender-fluid narrator is even self-critical. Why are we all so eager to categorize, to label, to break down? Is a thing defined less scary, more relatable? Or is it simply habit, a result of a lifetime of pronouns we've been fed and then regurgitated? Or is it more insidious? Is it segregated children's toy aisles and blue and pink cake reveals and 77 cents on the dollar? Why do we see the world how we do? And why do we cling so ferociously to our arbitrary classifications? Symptoms of Being Human is destined to join the ranks of the young modern underdog tales like Wonder, Eleanor and Park, and Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. It's a story we've never heard before, from a narrator we didn't know we needed. A narrator who invites us to see the world from a slightly less defined perspective.
Thank you for joining us for the Brennan Book Blog Podcast, Episode 9, New Book Smell. I am the sound engineer for the program, Daniel Eddie Williams. For the answers, the Brennan Book Blog Podcast received a galley via NetGalley, and for The Women in the Castle, received an ARC from the publisher in exchange for honest reviews. If you like what you heard, we hope you will check out our entire first season available for streaming wherever you stream your podcasts. And, if you can't wait to get your hands on more compulsively readable titles, investigate our Tumblr at brennanbookblog.tumblr.com. Check us out next time when we will suggest some of our favorite summer series for episode 10. Until then, keep calm and read on. Brennan Book Blog is a faculty feature on WOCU, the official podcast channel of Oklahoma City University's BA Theater and Performance Program. Executive producers are Mark Parker, Brian D. Parsons, and Gregory DeCandia. Brennan Book Blog Episode 9 and Show Theme was written by Kate Brennan with producing engineer Daniel Eddie Williams. Theme and all episodes of music composed by Eric John Tasker and Kate Brennan. Find more by searching Eric-Jon on SoundCloud or www.katebrennan.org. All episodes of Brennan Book Blog are streaming on WOCU.online and available via your favorite podcast streaming service. Brennan Book Blog reminds you to keep calm and read on.